So in your SaaS, while a small number of users is creating chat messages, you're going to find that almost no one saw those messages at all. Ah! Welcome back, folks. This is part two of the Don't Buy Cord series. In this part, we'll discuss the actual build-out of your own collaborative features. If you're arriving here fresh and you have no idea what I'm talking about, you probably want to go back to the first part of this series where we set the stage and talk about what problem we're trying to solve here. To recap briefly, we're walking through what it takes to build great collaborative features into an existing SaaS product. And we're specifically focusing on what it takes for the team who owns that SaaS product to build those features from scratch for themselves. From here forward, we assume that you have a great team for building these features, so let's dive in. In step one and two of this process, we identified the trade-offs we have to make, the things we can't ship because we're busy shipping these collaborative features, and we also built our team. So now it's time for step three, to build our first version. So we're gonna break this into weeks. Week one is design. Building the first version of collaborative features is pretty fun, actually. Your engineers, designer, and product lead will love this work. Thinking through what good collaboration might look like for your product is thrilling. When you imagine your product with things like commenting, annotations, real-time presence, it's easy to get excited. Your users will be thrilled to have these sweet, sweet features someday. Most product teams start with some sort of chat feature a comment thread, for instance. Your designer will need to mock up what the chat thread will look like. They'll have to think through things like different operating systems, fonts, screen sizes, screen resolutions, and browsers. Especially for screen sizes, you'll have to be pretty thoughtful about how much screen real estate you're going to devote to the chat thread. Your first week or so will be all about prototyping in Figma and thinking about the implications of different design choices. It might seem like a long time, but building the wrong collaborative features is much, much more expensive. Weeks two and three, identity yak shaving. Something that emerges pretty quickly from trying to build chat is that you actually need a fairly strong notion of identity. You know who your user is because that person logged in, but does that person know who other users are? It depends on whether or not you've already solved problems like usernames or nicknames. Do you have good profile photos? Have you built the APIs required to get these bits of information into the product easily? For many teams building their first pass at collaboration, it actually starts with a load of plumbing around identity. You'll have to handle profile picture file uploads, but if you use single sign-on with Google, for instance, you'll also need to support getting the profile photo from their APIs. Now there's API key management and request quotas to worry about. But you've got the team required to build this. Shouldn't take more than a couple of weeks for an experienced team. You'll need some design support here too, and front-end support. If you offer a profile photo upload, someone is going to upload a massive, ultra-high resolution photo to it. Oh! You'll need to handle things like image resizing. Likewise, people usually want to be able to crop their photo after they've uploaded so that it shows up nicely. Profile pics are always square or round, but photos are always rectangular in some other proportion. You're going to want to invest a few days in getting that profile uploader and profile pic rendering logic to be sound. 
Your operations person will be able to sort out the S3 buckets and such. Week four, chat version zero. By now, you've got reasonably good user identity sorted out. You have designs for showing chat messages between users in a way that feels on par with most basic chat systems. Now you need to think about the message contents. Users will want to format their text. We're a long way from the days of SMS-style chat messages. People expect to be able to make lists and bold their text. They want to be able to paste links and images. After you've got your identity management sorted out, you need to agree on a data model and feature set for the basic chat experience. This will require cross-functional work. Your designer will need to design a chat composer and a chat thread UI. This will need to work with your existing product design systems and colors. You will also have to think about things like when a user pastes three pages of text into the composer and hits send. <gasps> Users do weird stuff. You definitely don't want to just render a 6,000 pixel tall message. So your UI engineer is going to have to get very creative about message measurement and rendering. Users understand things like read more links, so you can reuse some existing UI patterns here. But there's a hidden trap. What happens if you clip a message in the middle of, say, bold text? Or maybe in the middle of a link? The key point here is that you have to be able to truncate messages to have a clean UI. Your UI code is going to be complex. You can expect it to take days to get this anywhere close to good. Doing a good job here is a lot less straightforward than what our intuitions tell us quick and dirty chat should be. One week is a very, very optimistic estimate of how hard it is to achieve decent message rendering in client-side code. Week five, chat version zero continued. Alongside all of that tricky front-end code, there's a really hard server-side problem you're going to need to be tackling. That is, how do you store these chat messages? I mean, you need a database for a start. But even then, there are a load of small decisions to make. The read patterns on chat messages is heavily biased towards new messages. Months-old messages pretty much never get read. So you need to be able to query by date and sorted. And because of that, you can kiss MongoDB goodbye, unless you want to reinvent features that relational databases are already amazing at. Chat messages are also chained together by the conversation itself. You need to be able to go back from any message to whatever message preceded it or followed it. You can use timestamps for this if you've got a relational database, but you also need a performant way to select for the chat messages in a particular conversation so you probably need a compound primary key. And if you decide to go schema-free, you're going to have to come up with something yourself. Also keep in mind that users expect to be able to delete and edit messages. So from a data modeling standpoint, you're going to have to solve for these cases. A simple cursor-based solution will be complicated by deleted messages, requiring more complex database queries. Week six, chat version zero, still going. Did I mention deleting messages? Well, that requires UI work. It also requires design work. There's a bunch of nuance here too. Do you want to allow for editing messages? If so, how are you going to let other users know when a message has been altered? Nothing is more frustrating than getting a notification 
only to click the link and land on a page and see nothing, or see the text of a message that doesn't match what you were shown before. You need to be fairly intentional about this choice. I mean, Facebook and Twitter took years to get this right. But you've got the benefit of hindsight. You can do better. One week, tops. Week 7 through 10. Chat, version 0. Still. By now, you've got basic chat working. A user can land on a page within your SaaS product and make a comment. This is starting to shape up. At this point, you are going to discover something important about humans. When there's nothing specific to do, we do nothing. Turns out, if you drop someone on a page with an empty chat sidebar, people don't instinctively chat with it. This is why Facebook works so hard to get you to do something in the Composer. You will have to solve your empty room problem somehow. Your collaborative features will need to be discoverable by the users and clear enough that they know what to do with them. It's painfully common for a SaaS product to slap a comment box underneath some random interface component and declare the product collaborative. Those teams might as well have taken the week off. They won't reap the benefit of the work they put in. Think about the SaaS products you've used in the past. You've seen those comment boxes or message the team boxes underneath some part of the UI, and you probably didn't put anything in them because it wasn't clear who they would reach. It wasn't clear what you were typing for. It wasn't clear what this chat box even does. I have an example in my mind of a product that we used inside of Cord, a recruitment tool, and it had comment boxes all over it. And none of us, not a single person on the team ever used any of those comment boxes because it wasn't clear what they were for or who would use them, who would type what into them and who would see what they had typed. That's the collaborative equivalent of piping things to dev null. It's never to return. But hey, they had at mentions. Around this time, you might be starting to rethink exactly what you wanted the collaborative experience to be. Who should interact with whom? Are the collaborative affordances in the right place in the product? These sorts of questions. You might even start to wonder if it was right to build all of this collaborative stuff yourself. Remember, this series is about building it yourself, so don't give up. You've spent this much time on it, you've got to double down so it's not wasted. That's uh, how some costs work, I think. Joking aside, it is still time to go back to design and UI work on the core collaboration experience. You will need to iterate on this. You will need to schedule user feedback sessions, capture their input, and convey it to the broader team. For iteration speed, it's really helpful to have the UI code well abstracted. That way you can tinker with it more. Your designer really needs to nail the prompt for user engagement. All of this takes time and coordination. Your product lead is going to be working double time to figure it all out. Week 11 to 15, the audience problem. Can you hear me? Once you're certain you've got the basic chat serviceable, you're still going to find you've got no engagement. But how is this possible? You've spent months now on just the basic implementation. You've worked with users. You know that people know what to do with this chat box. At this point, someone will be looking at the engagement data. 
You know, I didn't mention it before, but surely you've been collecting engagement data. So you know how many users focused the chat box. You know how many of them typed something. You know how many people sent messages. You know how many people never saw the chat UI at all. Someone surely will have built this. If they didn't, uh, yeah, you're going to have to go back into your UI and add instrumentation code and set up some sort of server-side solution for collecting those metrics. Then you need to leave the already not working chat running for a few more weeks so that you can collect the metrics. Whoops. Whoopsie. Next, you set up some sort of dashboards using some sort of graphing utility. Your operations person will handle this for you. I'm sure the IT administrators, if you have them, will make that easy for them. With those dashboards, you'll start to dig into what's actually happening with your sweet new chat features at long last. What you're going to discover is that only a small number of your users create chat messages. That's typical. After all, most of the content on the whole internet is created by a tiny subset of users. So in your SaaS, while a small number of users is creating chat messages, you're going to find that almost no one saw those messages at all. Despite all the work you've put in so far, the problem is that most people aren't stumbling onto the chat messages that your most engaged users are creating. The problem here is twofold. First, people usually won't know who is going to see their message, so they won't send one. Fear of embarrassment is a much, much stronger feeling than the warm glow of collaborative nirvana. The majority of users are going to avoid the risk. This kills most engagement and restricts your throughput of content to just a tiny subset of highly motivated users. Second, just because I type a message into a collaborative chat box and hit send, it doesn't mean any collaboration is actually going to happen. Think about it. Consider all of the possible screens of your app for the average user. What's the likelihood that shortly after user A types a message on a particular page, that user B happens onto that exact same page and sees the chat message that A sent? In practice, I can tell you, the probability of that happening is very, very low. So now, you have to tackle the audience problem. That is, when a user sends a message, who should see the message? And how do you ensure that they do? Your server-side engineer is going to have to get well acquainted with email sending APIs for a start. But do your users even use email? Or did you maybe build on top of Slack single sign-on? Maybe it's both. Maybe you have really time-sensitive content that also needs SMS notifications. Sending notifications is hard, and it takes a lot of work to support properly. Oh, and uh, before we move on, let's not forget about seat sharing. Your product is probably a lot like most SaaS products. Some teams pay for each seat they need, and some teams give five people the same username and password, and everyone is the same user. This is mostly fine in a single-player product, but your product is becoming collaborative. So when someone sends a chat message, uh, who even are they? And who do you notify? How do you stop it from devolving into some horrible variant of 4chan where everyone is anonymous? At this point, you're probably starting to rethink your choice to build it yourself again. But don't give up. This is a series about building it yourself. You can solve the audience problem. However, it does mean going all the way back to the data model again and to your identity model. Who are your teams? How do you know which users actually work together? If you've got small teams, you can probably message them all. But what about large teams? You don't want to be spammy after all. 
So what you have to do is experiment and iterate. That means doing things like clustering your users and test driving different notifications mechanisms. And that concludes part two of this series. In this part, we talked about the process of iterating on the core collaboration product experience. In part three, we'll dive into the nuance and complexity of getting engagement with your collaborative features by your existing users. So I'll see you on the other side.